previously on Madman. I'm kind of on a quest a little bit to figure out what exactly a semiconductor is. My thought on electric cars in general is that I don't think it's the answer. I don't think plugging your car into your home and using it, charging it off the mains is what's going to work. One night, he was super paranoid. He was asking his neighbors if he could borrow their car because he was worried that his car was being hacked into. But then he got in his car and it ended up uh, crashing into a tree. And it was a computer that, uh, or it was a car that had a computer that very easily theoretically could be hacked into. People of Earth, how are you? Hey now. What up, Amanda Maricott? It's Ben Margera, and I apologize for you having to watch Jackass to make friends. This is William Hong, and you're listening to The Society Show. And they were, these were like crazed lions. I'm talking, it freaking luau's. Broadcasting live to tape across the nation and the world from the Lorena Bobbitt Theater in a city whose massive dikes protect it from the ravages of the North Sea, beautiful North Seattle. It's the podcast for a world gone mad. This is The Society Show. And now, your host, a man who is stuck in a rut and couldn't be happier, Christian Patterson. Hello, hello, you are listening to the 69th yeah. episode of your favorite podcast, The Society Show. Society. Today, it is just me. I do not have any guests. I'm Mr. Solo Dolo. But I do have a monologue that I want to do. So, uh, we're gonna get to that. But first... But first, but first, but first, but first, but first, but first. I wanted to plug the new society stream. If you uh, are not familiar, follow the society show on Twitch, twitch.tv slash society show. So far, I have done three streams on the Twitch channel. And again, that's not replacing this podcast. That is just in addition to this podcast. So, I mean, some of the things I was doing, we were watching some documentaries about history we were watching some uh videos about modern architectural projects i give my commentary a lot of it is watching videos because i can't really do that in podcast form and uh there's stuff i want to show and talk about so that's where i do it i've also played some chess although i'm not good I mean, I'm, I think I'm better than your average person, but I'm not good compared to most people that you see streaming online. You know, I've played some card games. I've played Civ Six, which is my favorite game. I'm doing a simulation of the Roman Empire. So, you know, it's a lot of stuff that's fun, in my opinion. But um, one thing I did talk about on my on the stream that I'd like to bring up on the podcast is, you know, last episode, me and Matt were talking a lot about alternative fuel sources, and he was a big advocate for hydrogen. And I think hydrogen is a great idea, like hydrogen-powered engines, especially for racing, because like professional racing because they they function like a regular gas combustion engine they are a combustion engine they just only release water now it's not as environmentally friendly as you might think because hydrogen by itself is not naturally incur- uh, occurring in nature so they do have to process uh 
the hydrogen to make it usable in a a fuel cell. And also the hydrogen will sometimes lose energy. I mean, it does. It, It naturally loses some of its energy in the process of processing the hydrogen, putting it in fuel cells, and then the fuel cells converting that into power. Anyway, my point is, um, I mean, hydrogen is a good source for alternative fuel. I just don't know how sustainable it is. But what I want to talk about is a little thing called diesel engines. Now, when we think about diesel, we think about uh, more pollution, frankly, because we associate them with, like, big rigs, and, you know, there is a trend, like we talked about in the last episode, there is a trend in the early 2000s, like, at the beginning of the Iraq War and all that, where um, driving big-ass diesel trucks that just slowly, like, billowing smoke basically uh that was seen as like a cool thing to do but there's i mean all the creator of diesel rudolph diesel he would be rolling in his grave about that rest in peace because you've may you may have heard this before. I remember people talking about it more back in the day. They, they don't talk about it as much now, but you can run a diesel engine on vegetable oil. In fact, the creator of the diesel engine, Rudolph Diesel, who died mysteriously at sea, that's unrelated, but it is interesting that he died mysteriously at sea. He advocated for specifically using diesel engines with vegetable oil he in fact he made diesel engines because he wanted an accessible type of engine and he knew that farmers need vehicles and he knew that they could use their own renewable resources the vegetable oil in their vehicles so he was like he was like more woke on the whole renewable energy tip than most people are today because vegetable oil in a diesel engine is a much better alternative for the environment than even electric is. And so I really want to use this platform to advocate for vegetable oil diesel engines. I I mean, I'm kind of like being a little joking about it because it's just not material realistic. Like the U.S. does not have a history of using diesel engines much. In Europe, they have a lot more of a history of using diesel engines and they have a lot more cars that run on diesel, but... I think it's something worth considering, especially if you already have a diesel vehicle. There are problems, you know, a lot of mechanics don't know how to work on a diesel engine, in the U.S. at least. They're just not used to it. And there's some other issues, like uh, vegetable oil is not as viscous as gasoline gas, so it can, uh, or I mean like diesel gas, so uh, it can kind of gunk up your engine, but all that being said, yeah, we're going to advocate for it, The and I'm going to make an official holiday for uh, diesel, vegetable oil, diesel engine awareness. We're really going to push this, this as a podcast. One second, I just got a beep from a delivery. Alright, I am back. So, what that delivery was is, I'm just going to gripe on here. There's been a guy who, for the past six or so weeks, has had his groceries delivered here, 
every day on the same day I record this podcast. And he doesn't live here, he doesn't live in this building, but for whatever reason, he is using my exact address. And frankly, one time I even took his groceries because they were just left here, and they frankly sucked. And I'm just hoping he figures this out. Like, who has groceries delivered week after week to the wrong address? Like, does he not notice it's missing? Do you believe in society's laws? Okay, that was the intro. You know, let's get into um my monologue. Normally a monologue's supposed to be at the beginning, but uh let's just get into it. So my name is Amy Goodman and welcome to Jackass. <laughs> You know, the way Americans approach COVID, they're kind of like, Oh, great! Instead of making small talk about the weather, we have something just as dull to talk about. Because, you know, talking about COVID is pretty boring. It gets real old. So they're like, yay! It's, it's, we're making small talk not about the weather, but just as dull, and it also gives us an excuse to rant about our bizarre theories about the world. It's like COVID opened up a portal where you're just allowed to talk about the dumbest crap you believe. But, I mean, come on, it's like, it's like talking about your dreams, but if your dreams were real life. Yeah, last night I was dreaming that that the Chinese government conspired with Bill Gates to uh, leak COVID and stop the world economy. One thing, I've lived in Washington and Oregon. I've lived all over the Pacific Northwest. And a common sentiment on stickers and stuff is they'll say, go back to California, or like stuff like that. And then I also lived in Philly, that's where the show started. Um, and there were stickers that would say stuff like, go back to New York. Um, and then I started getting these ads on Instagram for like a Colorado based t shirt company. And all their shirts say, go back to Texas. And that got me wondering, like, do you think in North Dakota they have shirts and stickers that are like, go back to Montana? Or like, do you think in Indiana they have shirts that are like, go back to Ohio? Yeah, there was a uh, news story going around um, that Israel's new official policy is to, quote, shrink rather than solve the Palestinian conflict. Yes, and by that they mean they plan to shrink Palestine into hundreds of little open-air prisons! <laughs> and finally, have you been following what's happening at the border? Um, there was a tremendous amount of Haitian immigrants at the Mexico-Texas border. We'll talk more about this later. And there is also that video of the border police assaulting and rounding up Haitian refugees on horseback. Yeah, so Vice President Kamala Harris went on The View and made a couple comments about it. She said, quote, It evoked images of some of the worst moments of our history, where that kind of behavior has been used against the indigenous people of our country, has been used against African Americans during times of slavery, end quote. Yeah, and then Kamala Harris added, quote, and I am proud to be part of the administration who allowed it to happen. <laughs> We're gonna have a great episode tonight, folks. That was uh, the monologue. Have a great podcast, my friend. We all love the society show. Goodbye. From me, Kato I actually, later on, I am going to talk more about this incident at the border, like I said. And also, pretty soon, I am going to be joined by our German correspondent. His name is Georg Fugger. 
And he will be talking about the recent elections in Germany. But I'm going to talk about the uh, elections heating up in the Philippines first, because I was reading about this, um, and there's a lot of drama over there. So let's get into the... This is an election watch segment. This is a new segment, election watch. We're going to talk about two elections. So, um, first of all, if you haven't heard, Manny Pacquiao, the famous boxer, he is running for president of the Philippines. Round one, fight! But uh, there's some interesting things going on, because, you know, my first thought when I heard that was like, well, is he, like, the successor to Duterte? Is he from a different party from Duterte? The answers are not clear. It's a little, there's a little bit of drama there. So Pacquiao is running as a candidate for the PDP Laban party, which is also Duterte's party. PDP Laban is ostensibly a center left party, but I mean, when I read that, I was like, That would not characterize Duterte's presidency. I would not characterize it as center-left. I'm not sure where that comes from. But, but, I mean, also the PDP-Laban party coalition, they have a coalition with several more right-wing parties. So I guess I don't really know what left or right means in the context of the Philippines, to be honest. Um... Like, the political construction in the Philippines works different than here in the U.S. The thing is, you know, Pacquiao is running as a candidate in Duterte's party, but Pacquiao has been in conflict with members of his own party. Round two, fight! Pacquiao was made president of the PDP Laban in December 2020, so he's the president of the party, not the country. Duterte was still the president. And by March 2021, only three months later, Pacquiao began criticizing Duterte. And his one of his big criticisms makes me groan. Um, because his biggest criticism was about Duterte's handling of territorial disputes in the South China Sea. Pacquiao was actually saying that Duterte is too soft on the South China Sea. Um, So, you know, I guess if you want to zoom out a little bit, Pacquiao is clearly on the pro-U.S. side of the underlying Cold War between the U.S. and China. But, I mean, Pacquiao also criticized Duterte and his allies for other things, like their handling of COVID, the frequency of blackouts in part of the country, and he's, you know, always saying, you guys prioritize your political beliefs over you prioritizing, like, people's needs. Anyway, so in July, the PDP Laban voted for Duterte's right-hand man, a guy named Alfonso Cusi, as the new president of the party. This created two different factions within the party. There's a Cusi Duterte wing of the party and a Pacquiao wing of the party, which is weird. So there's like functionally two parties within one party. They overlap because they're still the same party, but they're in conflict with each other. It would be a bit like if in 2016 here in the U.S., that was when Trump was running against Hillary Clinton. And remember, at that time, Republicans were not happy about Trump being the candidate at all. They were pretty upset about it, actually. It would be like if in 2016, there was a bigger power struggle between mainstream old school Republicans and Trump Republicans. And it would be like if Republicans took the nomination away from Trump and then Trump said he represents the real Republican Party and functionally started a new party within the Republican Party. 
I mean, that's complicated, but yeah, it's basically two people claiming they're the rightful heir to a political party um, while both being inside of it and fighting with each other. It's kind of hard. It's like hard to wrap your mind around. Also, there's another element to the story where Pacquiao is closely associated with a party called the People's Champ Movement. People's Champ Movement is a regional party, so in the Philippines they have local and national parties. And the People's Champ Movement is a local party affiliated with PDP Laban, the national party. Um, So in August, so only a, a couple months ago, the Duterte wing of PDP Lapon accused Manny Pacquiao of trying to elevate his local People's Champ movement to become a national party, and they said this with the hope of expelling Pacquiao from the party. So this could be the route he takes when he runs for president. But, I mean, the uh, Filipino 2022 elections coming next year, it's really heating up. Another thing to think about is, okay, like, I think about this all the time. Keep in mind that in the Philippines, their terms for president are six years. But you can't run for another term. You you are president six years, then you're cut off no matter what. And so there was an incident a few years ago where Duterte told the military in a speech He said if he tried to run for president again, the Filipino military had permission to shoot him. I hope they don't shoot the cannon in my butt. Poo all over the place. And now it seems like Duterte is running for vice president. Um, And there were talks that uh, about his wife running for president and him running for vice president. However, what is more likely to happen is one of his buddies runs for president and he runs as their vice president. Now, I'm going to uh, transition to the recent German election. I'm going to start out just by... uh, kind of reading this short write-up by NPR about the results, and then I will bring on my guest, the uh, German correspondent of the show, Georg Fugger. Um, He is a Swabian living in Berlin. He is a landlord as well, so he brings a uh, perspective a little different than um, my normal guests. But uh, yeah, let's read this write-up from NPR. Quote, the center-left Social Democrats have won the biggest share of the vote in Germany's national election, beating outgoing Chancellor Angela Merkel's center-right union bloc in a closely fought race. Election officials said early Monday that a count of all 299 constituencies showed the Social Democrats won 25.9% of the vote ahead of 24.1% for the Union Bloc. The environmentalist Greens came third with 14.8, followed by the pro-business free Democrats with 11.5. The two parties have already signaled that they are willing to discuss forging a three-way alliance with either of their two bigger rivals to form a government. So it would seem that, I mean, presumably the Greens would coalition with the Social Democrats and the Free Democrats would coalition with... uh, the the Christian Democrat Union, but, I mean, it seems like the, the way European politics, they'd probably co- coalition with either. I, I'm not really sure. Then we get into the far-right alternative for Deutschland came fourth in Sunday's vote with 10.3%, while Die Linke, which is the left, um, party took 4.9%. So, sad day for Die Linke. Um, 
And then, here's the interesting thing. For the first time since 1949, the Danish minority party, SSW, was set to win a seat in parliament, officials said. So, Danish people rising up. That's good to see. Let me look up this German party, the SSW. Or, I mean, sorry, not German, but Danish. Huh. So, it's the, um... They represent ethnic minority interests, not just Danes, but also... Frisians. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but the people from, like, the uh, coastal regions of... Northern Netherlands and parts of Germany and parts of Denmark, I believe. They primarily live in Friesland in the Netherlands, but they're they're coastal people. Anyway, that's cool about the uh, Danish and Frisians rising up. They did have one seat in 1949 in the West German elections, but that's about it, so... It's the SSW South Schleswig Voters Association. Good for them. Oh, good for you! And now I will be joined by my German correspondent. He is calling in straight from Germany. Please welcome Georg Fugger to the show. Hello there. Guten Abend, this really is Georg Fugger of the famous Schwaben family, Die Fuggers. I know you're starstruck and think it's super cool to have a legitimate Fugger in your audience. We, we go way back, way back. My, my family even had all of the copper in all of Europe. Uh, well, welcome to the show, Georg. Um, yes, I was actually reading a little bit about your family tree on, uh, Wikipedia. (laughs) And, like, some people might think this is a joke, but the Fugger family really is, uh, very famous. And... this is no joke. No one, no one thinks it's a joke. We all know that the Fuggers are the most important Schwabian merchant family in the history of all Germanic-speaking peoples. They were so very important. They were the most crucial people in the county of Kirchberg and Weissenhorn. <laughs> Okay, um, yeah, another thing I read online is that your last name was originally spelled fucker, and, uh, I mean, I'm just reading, reading off of Wikipedia, it says the first recorded reference to the family, um, w- was, like, them being like, yeah, we're the fucker family, and then they changed it to fugger. What's up with that? That is just the most important thing. We invented the swear word in English, fucker, and it's because of our last name. We did it to be cool, and now it's one of the most used words in the world. We invented the the fuck word in English, and we are the fuggers. That is not a swear word in German, and so it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter. We're the fuggers and we rule. My great 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 grandpa was the head of the Nuremberg Company and he was also named Georg Fugger and I am named on his behalf. Okay, so um, let's get into the recent election in your country. What do you think about the Social Democrats taking power after so many years of Angela Merkel being in power? This election is not good. We have the damn socialists in the government. Well, I mean, you know the perspective of this show, we uh, generally are pretty positive about socialism. So, um, what are your thoughts? 
but the parties in Deutschland are further left than most American politicians. In the U.S., they treat business owners like they, they treated my feudal ancestors in my native Schwabia. And I think that's super cool. Yeah, I, I know that the U.S. is pretty far right, but I mean, what's your point? You vote for the center-left party, you still get the, 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 the politicians who say that having a business is super cool. We want politicians who say business is super cool. No politician in, in Deutschland will say that. Okay, well, I mean, I'm not exactly a fan of the Social Democrats, not really historically or presently either, um, but, uh, I mean, they're better than, than a center-right party, I guess. I've tried to convince all my tenants to vote for the Fried Democratic Party, but they voted for the Linka, the left, the these people are nuts. Yeah, so the Free Democratic Party, the, in English, Free Democrat, that is the pro-business party, correct? Yeah, my family is the biggest family of business people in all of Deutschland history, all of Europe. We are the fuggers, and I must vote for the Freie Democratic Party, or else my family would be heavily disappointed in what their merchant family became. We are the free classical liberals. Okay, so yeah, so your tenants would not vote for this party. I mean... It sounds like you're a little bit of a fish out of water in Berlin, to be honest. Have you ever considered moving back to Swabia? My ancestors back in native Swabia, they would be shitting their pants right now because when they joined the Prussians, and I told them they are very weak Nancy boys compared to Swabians, they would not believe me. Wait, <laughs> what are you saying? I'm confused. Back in the 1870s, with the Franco-Prussian War, the, us proud Fabians were not part of Germany. We were independent, and, and then the damn scheming Prussians conspired to get us to join the German Empire. Now imagine what my ancestors would think if they knew that the damn... The damn Prussians up in Berlin are all a bunch of weak-willed Nancy boys compared to the Schwabians. Uh, they would never believe that the, the, the Prussians up here in Berlin were weak-willed Nancy boys. Pathetic. <laughs> Alright. Well, thank you for being on the show, Georg. Uh, that was Georg Fugger, my uh, German Schwabian correspondent. Danke schön, danke schön. Alright, and so I'm gonna wrap up the show talking about a. Uh, few little se like news segments facts don't care about your feelings facts don't care about your feelings these are facts so thousand as you know thousands of migrants had gathered under a bridge um, on the border in a big makeshift camp um, on the U.S.-Mexico border. Now, these were Haitian Haitian refugees, I should say, because I imagine most of them are only there because of that devastating earthquake, and I also imagine the assassination of their president, which I covered on an episode recently. You can go back. It should be titled something about the Haitian assassination, but uh, if you want to hear more about that, but... I'm sure that didn't help. Um, you know, Haiti always is having problems, and a lot of those problems are uh, completely um, compounded with or wholesale created by powerful, developed Western countries. 
And then the ones that aren't created by powerful Western countries are compounded by pressure. For example, like, you know, they suffer from earthquakes there. They suffer from hurricanes and whatnot. And uh, the, those issues could be greatly mitigated if it wasn't for interference from countries like the U.S. and France. So, having said all that... Yeah, they're at the border, which, you know, you think, why would they be at the Mexico border? I'm still not really sure, but I think that's where they have to go to register as a refugee. But the issue is, as we know, Biden, the Biden administration is stepping up deportations of the Haitians. This is, like, so fucked up. And, like... Part of me feels like like ICE is a rogue agency. Like, th they do whatever they want, no matter what Biden has to say about it. And I think I really have a feeling that the Biden administration um, has figured that out. And as a way to save face, they basically just go along with what ICE wants. That's not to absolve Joe Biden. Like, he should have his shit together. He should have his administration and party together. But sadly, that is just not happening. Like, um, and... So I'm not saying like, oh, this is Ice's fault. He did it without Joe Biden. Ice did it without Joe Biden. But I do think like you have to think about the government as a structure. The structure still works the same way no matter who you slot in and out. Like that's why when we talk about the squad or. You know, pe people on the left who are elected to Congress. The reason they get elected is because generally our government reflects our society. society. Our society is getting more diverse. And so that is reflected in our government. But the issue is... The state is a structure. It's designed to replicate capitalism and replicate itself. You can't just insert a few people with a certain agenda and expect that system to change. In fact, I would argue if you replace everyone in Congress with a communist... I don't even think that would really change our society that much because my conception of the state includes things like the ideological state apparatus as described by Louis Althusser. Althusser's view was that things like the media and like religion, any sort of like social institutions, those things are actually part of the state. Because his conception of the state was that the state is the structure that has the long-term interests of capitalism in mind and replicates capitalism. And we know that if somehow, magically, everyone in Congress was a communist, the ideological state apparatuses would go into overdrive to counterbalance that. The military would go into overdrive to counterbalance that, including imprisoning every communist member of Congress if they had to. You cannot elect you cannot elect a different structure. A different structure has to be made. And you cannot morph the structure. It can you know, it can kind of be tipped in different ways, but it cannot be morphed into a new structure. It can function as the same type of structure with, like, different goals and visions, but what I'm saying is, is Biden, it's... It's his fault, but at the same time, this would happen under most presidents. Even Bernie Sanders, I sadly think this would be happening under. Because the structure of the state is progressing this way, it kind of demands this type of 
hardcore repression on refugees and immigrants. Um, that's just what the structure demands, and it's going to keep doing that. Now, I'm going to read a story that I believe is the most grotesque element of this whole border situation. Quote from NBC News. Here's the headline. DHS seeks contractor to run migrant detention facility at... Guantanamo Bay. Oh my. Guards who speak Haitian Creole. And so the subhead, which is very dubious, DHS told NBC News it is not sending, quote, and will not send Haitian nationals being encountered on this at the southwest border, end quote, to the Guantanamo Bay facility. The thing is, like this is some of the most grotesque news, okay? Guantanamo Bay is one of the most evil sites. If, like, there is a such thing as evil um, that actually tangibly exists in the world, doesn't just exist in our minds, then without a doubt, Guantanamo Bay is one of the most evil places in the world. Like, not even close. The amount of just abject, just absolutely horrendous torture that has gone on there anyone who has ever worked at guantanamo bay is literally evil i'm not even joking about that it's one of the most evil places in the world and so whether or not they're putting people at the border there is kind of besides the point because they're clearly anticipating more influx of Haitian immigrants and this is where they plan on putting them. So it says, quote, quoting from the article, A little-known immigrant holding facility on the base has a capacity of 120 people, the records say, and it will, quote, and it, quote, will have an estimated daily population of 20 people, according to a solicitation for bids issued Friday by the Department of Homeland Security. According to the solicitation, formal bidding is expected to take place later this fall. Then um, another quote, quote, the service provider shall be responsible to maintain on site the necessary equipment to erect temporary housing facilities for populations that exceed 120 and up to 400 migrants in a surge event, the contract solicitation says. So, yeah, if they're not putting any of the people at the border here, what they are doing is they're anticipating a need for um a place to put Haitian immigrants in a future event like this. And they're going to put them in a place where they're literally tortured. I mean, this is, this is concentration camp shit. I'm not even being hyperbolic. Guantanamo Bay is, there are people there who have been detained with no charge and are still there. There is a guy named Abu Zabeda who's being held still at Guantanamo Bay. He was waterboarded dozens of times. He was forced to be nude. He was sleep deprived. He was forced to sleep in terrible positions. He was assaulted. Um, and not only that, but the CIA destroyed a lot of their videos of their torture of him. He is, um, and not only that, like, here's the real kicker. He very likely had nothing to do with 9-11. In fact, it's pretty much confirmed now. When the U when the CIA and FBI captured him, he had previously in the decade before suffered a brain injury. He had no memory. He has tremendous mental health problems, not not just because of being tortured for over a decade, or almost a decade as you'd imagine, but also because of his traumatic brain injury before. 
he he just he ha- has seizures all the time. He's just totally just a shell. He he was destroyed by the CIA. He is like if you've ever heard of um there's a story by Ursula K. Le Guin about um, the it's called like the ones who leave Omelas or something like that, and the premise of the story is that they live in this happy society where everything's good, and then once they become old enough, they get taken down to this basement, and the leader of the city or whatever says, "The only reason we're able to have a good, functioning, flourishing society where everyone is hap- happy is because of what's happening behind this door." And he opens the door to reveal a child who's being perpetually tortured for his entire existence they need to torture a kid to uphold their society and abu zabeda is basically the closest thing to that in in the u.s um he is indefinitely detained without trial he's probably been tortured more than any other living person honestly um and where essentially the the CIA and the US government's doing it because they think that by like torturing this, you know, quote unquote high high value detainee, they are um making our society work. And it's just it's insane. It is actually insane. Um and this this place is where they will be putting future or current Haitian refugees whose homes and livelihood were destroyed by natural disasters. They are putting him in the same detention um, facility, maybe not facility, but the same detention camp as the most tortured people potentially in history. So, um, this isn't a joke anymore. You know, people talked about, like, the ICE concentration camps during Trump. This, these aren't going away. This is accelerating. It doesn't matter who is president. We have already decided that what the society needs to keep functioning is to increasingly um, detain without trial indefinite detentions of brown people. That is what our society, our government says we need to have to keep the society functioning. It is like this is the nightmare situation, folks. You said he was the Messiah. You said he was invincible. You said it was all over. They were all going to get mo. Just one last story I want to talk about before I go. I'm only going to touch on it a little bit. The U.S., the U.K., and Australia made a new military alliance called AUKUS. Really bad name, if you ask me. But uh, the, the nature of this is to supply... Australia with nuclear submarines. Oh, hell, let's just do what we always do. Hijack some nuclear weapons and hold the world hostage. Explicitly as a counter to Chinese growing power. And, um, I mean, this is... Well, so there's a few things about this. It indicates that the Cold War with China is in fact heating up, which we've been obviously witnessing the past few years. Another thing it indicates is perhaps a shifting of power. Like, this is kind of showing the UK shifting power away from the EU. I mean, they left the EU, so, I mean, there's that. But now they're kind of filming or um, filling these um, military agreements with the U.S. and Australia. The U.K. is kind of necessarily moving on to a different kind of power structure. One where they're more working with their former colonies and the Commonwealth countries rather than working with Europe. So this shows like a shift in geopolitics. 
And what really cements that is the fact that France was pissed as hell about this because France has been working on um, the submarines in Australia for decades. They were so pissed because the U.S. and the U.K. basically were like, yeah, we're doing this now because we want to fight China more than you do. And that's the truth. The EU is less threatened by China than the U.S., U.K., and Australia are. I mean, not to say, I mean, I'm sure individual countries are um, within the EU are threatened by China, might not like China, but as a political entity... Uh, the EU does not seem as threatened by China, and I don't think individual countries are as threatened by China as as um, the U.S. is, for good reason. The U.S. is the current superpower, and China is clearly on the precipice of kind of taking over. I would argue we now live in a two-superpower world, the U.S. and China. I can't pinpoint a time when that actually happened, but from the fall of the Soviet Union until around now, the U.S. has been the only world superpower, and I really do think China's on that level now. So, I'm going to keep an eye on AUKUS, but uh, with that being said, I think it's about time to wrap up the show. My name is Christian. You can follow me on Twitter at Christian is cool. Is is spelled I-Z. Christian I-Z cool. You can follow the show on Twitter at society underscore show. You can also uh, watch the society stream. You don't have to watch it live. I have all the old videos uploaded at twitch.tv slash society show. And if you'd like to email the show... Um, leave a voicemail. I will play your voicemail on the air. You can find all that information about who to email, where to email, all that, where to call at societyshow.net. And with that, this has been The Society Show. Now the son of a bitch walked in there in my own office when I splattered stuff on myself and I was changing shirts. He goes, oh, that's a good shot. Let's get your shirts. And then he goes, I go, hey, have some of this chicken and sausage. So technically I said, Jones offered me his sausage. Yeah, give me a break, you son of a bitch.